Welcome to the Cultural Connections podcast, where we take a deep dive into the place names and landscapes of South Wales. This podcast will be flexibly bilingual, so some will be in English, Abith Rai and Gymraeg. In this episode, we're in Bedlinog. So Harry, give us an introduction into Bedlinog itself. Bedlinog, Pentreas of Edluidar Bencom, Ravon Bargotavu Bedlinog, Mar Pentreas, Tia Deg Milti Rogogledd o Garfili, a Tia Deg Milti Rydde o Werthyr Tidfil. Mae'n gartref i'r Gynolfan Dringo Rhyngwladol, ac yn wir mae'r Gynolfan Dringo Dal yn a heddiw. You know, I remember the Welsh Indoor Climbing Centre very, very fondly. Uh, I climbed it as a child, and since it's been going, and it still is going, it's had many, many different names. I remember turning up and, and kind of knocking on the door and it being closed, and a few weeks later going back, and it's open again, but it's owned by someone else. So Bedlinog is a place I've spent a bit of time. But Tim, the the name Bedlinog itself, is there anything in that? Well, Bedlinog is, is a rather controversial place name. It- doesn't have a perhaps a particularly obvious origin so there are various suggestions Uh, Richard Morgan who studied the place names of Glamorgan extensively has suggested that many of these places in the valleys have acquired uh, names based on the characteristics of the streams that flow through them and so he suggested that Glenog comes from uh, the description of the river as a fox and that it was a quiet flowing sneaky stream as opposed to some of the the other wilder rivers that are named after wild boars and things like that but that's uh, i think far from being generally accepted as a as an origin and there are certainly other potential sources of that name yeah i, I was um, i was looking at the word hoinog and um, it's got a prefix which is Hyoin, which means, um, I believe it means bush or something related to bush, like wood. And og, uh, the, the the suffix is kind of like belonging to the bush. So um, the, the the fox interpretation is a very interesting one, but um, I thought it was quite important to sort of raise the possibility that uh, the river was named after, or was named for um, a bush or a wood nearby. So it doesn't necessarily have to be anthropomorphized in that way it might be a bit more literal but we've talked about this a lot during these these podcasts and and making the films and on the website that you know as as place name detectives and landscape detectives it's i think we should always be up front with where these place names come from what the controversial parts are to them and and whatnot so these conversations I think do more for the story, more for the history than if we would just say, yeah, it's definitely called this. One of the most obvious things to talk about when we talk about Gethlige Common and, and the ward of Bedlinog uh, is the, the ring canes that are up there. When I was filming up there, sometimes they were easy to pick out and sometimes they were they were difficult. Um, but it does seem that in the ward of Bedlinog, there's a lot of history and a lot of archaeology there, Richard. Oh, there certainly is. Uh, Gethlige the common itself is uh, is a historic landscape. It's a registered historic landscape, and it has a rare survival of uh, of archaeological remains from from all periods, from from prehistory, uh, Roman, uh, and uh, early medieval. Um, what's of particular interest at the uh, at the northern end is uh, uh, Carn Beagle, 
which uh, which itself is an interesting name, um, you know, Cairn uh, Rock or Cairn itself, as in a burial mound. Uh, and then I think it's developed the Bee Girl, the the shepherd's name, probably because it was a focus um, for, for for shepherds uh, later on. But certainly, I don't know if there was any shepherds there in 4000 BC when uh, when the uh, when the burial mound was constructed. But um, Bacan Beagle is probably the most famous one, and it sits on the the, the hilltop on the left hand side as you drive northwards uh, uh, through through the common. Uh, it forms part of eleven uh, locally uh, uh, cairns. There, um, they're all scheduled ancient monuments, and and they're all um, they're, they're, they're all bronze age. Not all of them have been looked at uh, in particular in any detail. But Bacan Beagle was dug up by uh, by an antiquarian in the nineteenth century. Um, and some evidence was recorded um, and promptly lost, um, but there was apparently a, uh, an individual in there of some uh, of some status. And ring cairns are uh, are, a, are a certain type of cairn. They they tend to be a a, a cairn of stones <clears throat> that then has a uh, a circular uh, row of stones of some description, or even a circular ditch. Uh, surrounding the, uh, the the cairn of stones, and we find these right the way across the the uplands of uh, of South Wales, well the uplands of Wales more generally. You don't tend to find them that often in, in, in lowland areas. In lowland areas, they tend to be earthen mounds. Um, that binary division is is not strict. You do get some uh, that, that buck the trend, but on the whole, in the uplands, you tend to get stony uh, Bronze Age burial mounds, and in the lowlands, you tend to get ones made made, made of earth. So this, so you're you're already in an area of uh, sort of complex um, uh, prehistoric remains. Um, the Romans recognised this area as being very important. They built a road um, across Gettlegare Common, and as we touched on in previous episodes, the the valleys would have been deeply wooded um, since the the end of the last glaciation uh, in the Mesolithic period. And it's only really the the, the mountain tops that were navigable. Or you know that people you know used as uh, trackways and um, and routes, and the, the Romans followed suit. Uh, and afterwards, uh, when we have a breakup of the Roman Empire and we have the the small Welsh client kingdoms establishing themselves, we have um, Crossridge Dykes. There again, another another monument we touched on in previous episodes. But uh, these enigma enigmatic uh, earthwork monuments that may or may not have. Uh, trenches or, or ditches uh, associated with them and they, they they several of those are found in the area of Calm Beagle as well so it's a really really interesting area from an archaeological perspective um, and also a very complex one there's uh, there's also uh, just just to add that there's uh, 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 there's rumor and legend as well uh, the Neavroch standing stone is uh, is reportedly it is almost certainly a, a Bronze Age standing stone, but it does have an inscription that was that was certainly legible at the end of the 19th century um, that that had the, the letters N E F R O and possibly H, uh, and that's been interpreted as uh, Neavroch um, commemorate, commemorating a uh, a great Irish uh, hero um, warrior of the heather apparently. Uh, whether or not he's related to Brachin and Tidville uh, and the legends that, that, that surround this area, um, I don't know, is the honest answer, but it's certainly an interesting angle. Yeah, I think uh, 
this whole area of, of uh, these antiquarian attempts to put names to monuments is something that we have touched on, we will touch on again in other episodes of the whole situation with with Merthyr itself. And uh, more recent attempts, academic attempts to reconstruct the largely illegible inscription really don't seem to bear out that name. And it's there's a lot of antiquarian wishful thinking from around the late 18th, early 19th century, which attempts to uh, to create big narratives on rather tenuous bits of evidence in some cases, and this is probably one of them. But nonetheless, these stones are incredibly important. Um, it's very likely that it records an individual, although you can't make out the name now. Whether it's actually a burial site itself or whether the person is simply commemorated on that is not known. Uh, and different examples of these early medieval stones probably were used in different ways. But the stone's located right alongside the Roman road and it's showing, uh, it's showing somebody's influence in the area. These stones are, are usually sort of thought of as being statements of, uh, of possession, of ownership. And one of the interesting things about this particular area around Merthyr is that it forms this border between the small kingdoms that were later uh, effectively Glamorgan and small kingdoms to the north that became Brokainiog. And we know that Brokainiog had quite a strong Irish influence at some times. And so there are all sorts of stories here that are related to either Irish settlers or Irish raiders. Um, but there's, there's a story there which is partially lost. We can just see these little glimpses back into that, uh, that time period. And both the interpretations perhaps of this stone and, and of the names of, of Tidville and so on may be in part claims by Bukhainiog uh, to this area. So they're trying to show the influence of the Northern Kingdom over the Southern into, into these parts of South Wales. I, I, I did find a, quite an interesting story that ties in with that to do with uh, Karen Bigal and also the, uh, the collection of canes at Borchru, see metal Borch Vel Cheek, Cairns, see what you've called Vel Borch. So basically, in the 11th century, a monk named uh, Hivris, who was from Glamorganshire, wrote a Latin biography of St. Cadog. Um, and Cadog established many churches across Wales and also the rest of Britain, or modern-day Britain and also Brittany. And this is titled Vita Cadocai. Um, and it was said that the local Gwentian king, uh, who was um, Gwynhew, um, <clears throat> uh, uh, had a daughter named Gladys who ran off with um, King Brochan. Um and uh, the, the the king of Gwen sort of got his soldiers together and chased them and they reached the, the, the site of the cairn where apparently King Arthur and um, some of his associates, so uh, Kai uh, Bedwyr, uh, they were playing like dice together and um, there was this massive battle between the uh, the soldiers of uh, the, the 
the the king of um uh the king and um king arthur and uh it said that king arthur then uh kidnapped the um the princess himself and then uh, went off to went off to um england i suppose and i was thinking that maybe that maybe this is a way of uh, tying um tying the sort of petty kingdoms of wales with the legend of king arthur maybe and it's interesting that it ties in prehistoric archaeology with that. So this is very sort of ancient mythology. Story did all of this on Marhaior Manilion and Anghawir. Merch, for example, Geinogoid Gladys, and as he said, a band could have gone through. Ma Popedaras, the Brujogada Arthur Bedwir, and Weir and Amlog. Yeah, it's interesting how, how many of these stories that were told by the by the monks and and other people in the Middle Ages about the life of the saints are intimately associated with the politics of the day and all about telling stories that place claims on land and territory uh, and doing that through these sort of mythical kings that supposedly founded their various kingdoms. That's a a theme I'm sure we're going to come back to in other episodes too. One thing that, that really strikes me about you know this project was originally called cultural place names and landscapes and merged into into cultural connections because we really wanted to touch on on both but similarly between the landscapes and the place names i am astounded that when richard was talking earlier about these ring canes being uh, from 4000 bc that they even still exist like and and similarly with the place names i'm equally astounded that that some of the place names from many many thousands of years ago can still exist and, and we and we still have them is it's only through i get struck when when visiting getley gate common at like there are there are ring canes there from 4000 bc and then right next next to those ring canes is a bunch of litter and fly tipping or you know dirt bikers have gone past past it and ripped it up on man of the Greig, where where i uh, the mountain where i live there's a bronze age burial uh mound and literally, dirt bikers go up and over the top of it um, on the on the tracks. So, in the same way that these burial um, mounds and rinkings get graffitied and ripped up, I assume this the same thing happens with the stories of the place names as well. That they also get damaged and ripped up and and torn apart, and extra things get added in. So it's really difficult to know what the truth is and try and try and get through all the graffiti and see what's underneath. If you want to grow up and, and, and have a look at, at this ancient history in Bidlin, the Bidlinog Ward, what is it that we're really looking out for? How can we discern kind of modern roads from ancient roads and stones that are on the side of the road to the, to the ancient standing stones? Uh, pick up a, an ordnance survey map. That would be, that, that's your starting point. Um, and, uh, and have a look on... Uh, the Regional Historic Environment Record, which is accessible through a website called Arjulio, and also have a look at the National Monuments Record, which is uh, uh, accessible through a website called Covline. And you can, uh, and it works, these websites work much like, uh, like Google Maps. You can zoom into the area that you're interested in going for a walk, and, uh, and spots will materialize, and you can click on those spots, and they will tell you what's in, in your general area. But the Ordnance Survey workers uh, I've done a great job, and most of the archaeology are visible. Most of the cairns certainly are, are picked out. The Roman road is, 
Um, if you're gonna if you're gonna visit Gettinger Common, a good starting point would be to start at the Roman uh, fort, which is just outside uh, the ward. There's a very rare cut mark stone as you walk uh, northwest from 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 the fort, which is well worth a try. That was uh, discovered only a few years ago, actually. Um, it's a recumbent standing stone, but it's got um, uh, these cut marks on it, which are a particular uh, Neolithic um, activity. Why they were boring little holes the shape of cups in, into rocks, um, I don't think anybody's um, too clear, but you get them right across the United Kingdom, United Kingdom and um, Western Europe as well. Uh, and then you've, you've only got to walk you know, then northwest across the common, and you'll come across uh, cross several crossfish dikes and uh, and cairns. Uh, Rhys alluded to uh, the house platforms there; that there are medieval house platforms on the northeast side of the mountain on on Colo Achav, which uh, which are incredibly important, um, and they're very very visible and very tangible. You know, these are really really big earthworks that you can that you can see and you you can't miss, and obviously you can't miss. Uh, the Neavroch uh, standing stone because it's a it's a, a standing stone which is uh, which leans right over at a sort of a 45 degree angle as you as you drive past on your way up towards uh, Vochru. I was just literally going to briefly mention that those cut marks um, they're potentially earlier than Bronze Age. They're, they're potentially Neolithic. So this is a right at the end of the Stone Age, uh, which is quite amazing, really. So you, you talk about how amazing it is that Bronze Age archaeology survived today. Well, actually, there's there's plenty of Neolithic archaeology that survived today, um, and also with with regards to how how you pick up these certain features in the landscape, I, I just briefly say that. Um, if you're very interested, just get get your eye into the landscape and just take a look at things that that don't look right, that don't look like natural features, and the chances are it's it's, it's archaeology. You know, with with all this wonderful history and in physical history, what are we doing to preserve it in Wales, if anything? The phys- the physical history. Uh, we're, we're very lucky that in, uh, in, in 2016, we, we had a new bill uh, called the Heritage Bill, which, uh, which placed uh, a lot more emphasis on um, protecting uh, places uh, and uh, place names indeed as well. Uh, you, you know, so we have strengthened legislation in, in place. Um, uh, we, many of these sites are shared with ancient monuments or, or listed buildings. Uh, as well, so uh, and there's, we've also got uh, a register of historic landscapes and a register of parks and gardens. So again, these um, these set out what areas um, have um, historical value and 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 what they are and and, and set out uh, what, how they should be protected. Uh, this is also enshrined in legislation as well in planning. So we were talking about roads in an earlier uh, podcast. Well, it's the same, you know, for. For uh, for anybody uh, wanting to build a house in Bedlinog or, or wanting to go and uh, uh, dig up uh, one of the crossroads dikes, you, you you can't do it because these monuments are, are protected for the nature for, for the net for the nation for the future. It's probably worth saying that they've survived so long because these upland areas haven't been used extensively. A lot of it would have been sheep grazing for much of the intervening period, and. What we're seeing, you've alluded to this already, Hugh, but the the uptick in activity on these ridges in recent years um, for recreational use, and perhaps you know even particularly during lockdown, people are out and, and using their local areas more. 
and many of these monuments are actually really quite fragile that just moving a few stones around can really do serious damage to a to a ring cairn let alone uh, driving your off-road bike over it or something so this this is a a survival from the distant past that really does need to be cherished by everybody because it is it is very fragile it's worth mentioning as well Hugh that the um, and Tim touched on the the uh, the off-road biking and four by fours damaging um, Gatling Air Common is quite a common uh, double pun intended there, but uh, it's quite a, a common problem. The uh, and um, and you know I know that um, the police are now um, uh, using drones to try and um, to, to try and keep up with people, you know, because it's very difficult, you know, if you're having a monument that's that's being destroyed by and they are destroyed once. These monuments, uh, you know, are gone. They're 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 uh, they're gone forever. You know, you can't you, once it's destroyed, you can, you can never get that information back or that monument back. Um, and I think what the police are doing with uh, with new modern technology like drones, um, uh, you know, are able to keep pace with um, with the with these people who are out in the landscape, um, you know, damaging monuments. Perhaps if they realised how vulnerable and how, and how old some of these monuments were. Uh, they they would think again uh, before you know driving over them. You would hope so, and I think that you touch on a on a really good point there. That it's, it's a change in the way that I've you know over the last year of of lockdown, I, I use my um, local common, one of the Gride Common, a lot. I've been using it since I was eleven years old, probably even before that, and I have seen a, a large uptick in in people using it and people taking four by fours on it. Um, and it's a difficult one with common land because who is supposed to prevent that? Who who owns the land? Who doesn't know the land? And I know land laws and stuff is is a difficult one. But I really have made the the change recently. To I still get really annoyed by it and really angry by people damaging our landscapes. I I feel that they're doing the people doing damage to the landscape is like doing damage to to people. I feel like it's the same thing that we should we should try our best not to to damage it, but at the same point, it's the education that I've started to to come around to. So instead of just telling people off, which I, I never really did, I, I would just have a conversation with people and I just get annoyed by it. But I've tried my best to educate people in, you know, how long I was having a chat with a geologist friend of mine of like how long it takes for for soil to recover from a four by four going over it and it, it could take well well in the in the region of two hundred years for for a region of soil to recover to the way it was beforehand. So you put you're doing hundreds of years worth of damage in an afternoon of excitement. And I agree. I've done quad biking and, and off-road biking. It's great fun. Um but when it comes to, to common land and an area everyone uses, I think we all have a a responsibility to to leave our landscape and it is when it comes back to place names and whatnot, there for the next generation to use as well. I think it's very difficult to uh, uh, to, to educate um, because you can't uh, you, you can't uh, go up onto the landscape uh, onto Munna the Gride, for example. You can't go to uh, you know up onto Gettlinger Common and then stick loads of information boards across the landscape um, telling you what's there because you, you're altering what that landscape um, you know in, is inherently meant to look like and meant to feel like so you can't you can't do that so how you go about um educating people is you know is a challenge and i think this project that we're doing you know is playing a small part in that you know in the big picture 
well, do you remember my poisigi cray um fell from this this dread um kasachiadi here troy um I think that's the best way of this is sort of um intangible link with with place e here um rather than like putting up loads of information boards and you know yeah and I think that this is this particularly I think the reason we've gone so so deeply into this now is because of because of Getty Common and and the Bedlinog Ward and and the troubles that that is being faced there to preserve that um, that ancient landscape. I think one other story that could be told about that area is the story about the evolution of transport routes through the area. We've talked about the Roman road, uh, which went on in use for uh, a very long period of time, uh, even in. 1760-ish when they were uh, leasing land for ironstone extraction for Dowlai's ironworks. The route of the old carriageway from Cardiff to Brecon is marked going across the top of where Fossifrau and Open Cars now is. So that, that upper route stayed in use for a very long period of time before transport went down into the valley. But there's a specific uh, transport corridor associated with Betlinog because it lies on the railway which was built to allow access through into the Dalice Ironworks. Um, Dalice lying so much higher than the centre of Merthyr Tydfil that the descent from Dalice down to the main transport routes in the Taff was a little bit difficult because it was so steep. So the railway through Betlinog is a quite a significant part of the development and history of, of the Dalai Ironworks in the middle of the 19th century. Still in use today, isn't it, Tim, with, um, with transporting coal from Fosavran down to Aberthaw? That's right. The connection no longer goes through to Dalai but it's, it's open up onto, the, up onto the top and the uh, coal washery. So that's quite a significant little bit of, little bit of history. Um, just the way in which that valley provided a nice, gentle, inclined route up onto the uh, the high areas around the around the high ground of Dalice. And I suppose that brings us right back round to you know the damage that we do to the landscape. And we've always had that contentious history in in Wales of whether it's through recreation or whether it's through industry, we've always used our landscape for natural resources and we've worked it i mean even our national parks are worked national parks um so there's always that kind of give and take with with us as humans and our our landscape as well of how much do we take from it and how much do we preserve it that's absolutely true i mean in, in wales really we don't have anything that is a natural landscape it's all influenced by human activity to some extent or another and the debate has to be had about how that impact is managed and what you leave for the future, what state you leave it in for the future. And and you're right, it's it's on all scales from recreation pursuits of individuals through to development for heavy industry. There are important debates always to be had. And stories to tell. Well, gents, thank you so much for that uh, that podcast. I think we all, we all learned something. Um, so thank you very much and we'll see you in the next episode.
The Cultural Connections Project is part of the Wales Rural Development Plan 2014-2020, which is funded by the European Union Fund for Rural Development and the Bosch Government. It is being commissioned by Merthyr Tydfil Canterbury Council, delivered by TACP UK Limited, Black Mountains Archaeology, GeoArch and Hugh James Media. My cousin is a very good person who 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 is a very good person who